0: So the last time I actually spoke in church and Sam wasn't in the building at all, and none of the other pastors were there, and it was just me, someone in the second row actually passed out. They had like a mini heart attack, and they just sort of slumped on the ground. And I was kind of like, I was like, is it the Holy Spirit? And then I was like, no, it's not. And and it was awful. And uh, I just want to say this morning, if you're feeling lightheaded that Andrew, who was playing the drums, Anaru, he's up the back, he's a nurse, head over to him, okay? If you're feeling any heart palpitations, if anything's going on, that doesn't feel like it's from the Holy Spirit. Okay. So when I was growing up, I had the most amazing best friend. Her name was Jessica Gilmer. And we were just like, Soul Sisters. We did everything together. We had heaps of fun. And she was a very loyal, loving friend. But the thing I just adored about her the most is she was always up for an adventure of any sort. And in fact, we had this catchphrase we'd say to each other, if we wanted to make the other one do something, uh, we'd say, think of it as an adventure. So one person would come up with some scheme, the other one, oh, I don't know, that doesn't sound like a good idea. And the first one would say, think of it as an adventure. And when she said that to me, I just could not resist. I could not resist following her off on whatever goose chase we went on. And when we were 14, we were in fourth form, for those of you who remember the forms. We were in our maths class. It was a two-story building. We spent a lot of our maths years staring out the window longingly because there were horses on the hills in paddocks. And so while mass is important, <laughs> horses to us were actually a lot more important. So there were, there were some hills off in the distance, but we could see the horses. And on this one particular morning, we happened to notice that one of the horses kicked the gate and actually escaped from the paddock. And so we kind of looked at each other, and we are both having the same thought, that it felt our duty to go put the horse back in the paddock. <laughs> So think of it as an adventure, off we went. And so we went down, Or well, one of us needed to go to the toilet, one of us needed to go and blow our nose. So off out the classroom we went, and we went across the school, out the gate, up the hill, it was quite a journey. We found the horse, I vaulted onto the horse, because I could do things like that back then, It's only 14, and Jessica kind of grabbed it by the mane and we put the horse back in the paddock. And... It was just such a sense of achievement at that point. We were so stoked. It was such an adventure. And I remember coming back down the hill, back across the court, and sort of looking up at the classroom, only to see the class and the teacher sort of staring out at us. (laughs) And It was kind of that moment where you're wondering whether the adventure was really worth it. But the funny thing is, in my memory, I don't remember what happened then. I don't even remember what sort of trouble we got into, but what I do remember now that I'm 39, and this was when I was 14, what I do remember really clearly is the joy of the adventure, and I just got so much joy out of that, and today I want to talk about hearing from God, because when we're hearing from Him, that's when we're on an adventure, There is nothing about being a Christian that's boring, nothing about following Jesus that's boring because when he's speaking to us, he's always calling us out of our comfort zone and calling us on to the next thing. And there is always joy in the adventure. So I wanna start with debunking a couple of big lies that we might believe in relation to hearing from God. The first one is hearing from God is all about us. So if hearing from God is all about us, it means that if we wanna hear from him, we gotta do all the right things. He's only gonna speak to us when we stop telling lies, stop hurting people, stop making mistakes, stop making bad decisions. And this just isn't true. Our failures and our mistakes do not disqualify us from hearing from God. In fact, I would say it's our it's knowing we make mistakes, it's having the humility to know we make mistakes and know we need God's grace. That's like the soil into which God speaks, and then out of that life grows. In order to really trust though that God will still speak to us in our dysfunction and in our mess, we've got to know the nature of God. What is God actually like? And some of us have heard all sorts of crazy things about who God is. I've been reading a book by Brian Zahn. It's called Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. He talks again and again and again about how God is like Jesus. We can look to Jesus if we wanna know what God is like. You know, Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus is God with human skin on come down to earth to walk amongst us, talk amongst us, so that we will know what God is like, so there can be no confusion. And if you look in the book of John again and again and again, it says, God is like Jesus. It says, the son does nothing on his own. If you've known me, you'll also know my father. The father and I are one. Whoever believes in me, believes in he who sent me. No one comes to the Father but through me. So no one understands the Father but through me. It goes over and over and over. And these scriptures all come in different places in the book of John. So if God is like Jesus, and we're going to believe that, then who does Jesus talk to in the Bible? Because God must talk to the same sorts of people. And if you look in the Bible, Jesus doesn't just talk to nice people that have got it all together. Jesus talks to the scumbags, the scallywags, those that are making mistakes, those that are living an overtly open, sinful life. Those are the people that Jesus talks to. Our sin doesn't disqualify us from hearing from God in a profound way. I was brought up a Christian, but I spent years of my life not following God. And what I mean by that is I didn't have a faith crisis. I still believed very much in God and in Jesus. And I was still actually talking to God, but I had actually stopped listening I'd stopped listening to what he wanted to say because I was making my own decisions. And I actually think I knew what he was trying to say, but I had stopped listening. And so during that time, I made all sorts of bad decisions. I went to Bible, no, Bible college was a good decision. (laughs) Okay, that wasn't one of them. Before I went to Bible college, I went to performing arts school and I studied uh, the theatre. And so I kind of got lost in the world of theatre. And it's a crazy lifestyle. There was lots of alcohol, lots of smoking drugs and lots of parties. And I was always up for an adventure. Some of those weren't so good and I would like to erase. But um, one of those times, I was with my friends and... We were all together, we were having a party and we were with a whole bunch of people we didn't really know and everyone was smoking drugs and so I, I joined in and it was all fun and games for the first wee while and then it was like a dark fog descended over me and all the light was sucked from the room and as I looked around all the people that I didn't really know so well, all of a sudden they looked like something out of a horror movie. It was really terrifying and I just had that sense of really deep evil and foreboding in my spirit, and I started to panic, like an internal panic, and I was kind of frozen in my fear, so I didn't sort of get up and leave the room, I just sat there, but what I did was I prayed, because even though I was not honouring God with my life, and my choices, I still knew God loved me. I still had a sense of his grace and mercy, and for that I'm really thankful. And so I prayed, and then the most incredible thing happened. One of my non-Christian friends picked up a guitar, and he started singing to me a song about Jesus. This is a non-Christian who I didn't even know he knew a song about Jesus, and he starts singing to me. And what happened in that moment was I just felt the peace of God come into my heart, the peace of God flood the room, and all of a sudden it was like, All the darkness was sucked out of the room again and the light was back. And I had this warmth inside my heart. God spoke to me when I wasn't honouring him. And he spoke love. He spoke mercy. He spoke to me in a really tender way that actually drew me closer to him. Now, just for the record, I'm not encouraging you guys to go and smoke drugs. Can I just put that out there? Because Sam's away this week and if he comes back and that's what's happening then I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. I don't think that's a good idea. If you want to know why, come and talk to me at the end. But for some of you guys, you have family members, you have kids, you have loved ones, and they're walking away from God. They're going to places you don't want them to go. But here's the truth. God spoke to me when I went to a place that my parents wouldn't have wanted me to go. And you need to trust that he does speak into those really dark places. Hearing from God is all about him. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about his nature and God's nature is love. It's just pure love. The second lie we might believe is when we hear from God, we'll never have doubts or questions. So nothing about this statement is true. Doubt and questions are okay. In fact, God's not scared of them. He actually invites us to have questions. Questions are biblical I listened to this great talk recently by Judah Smith, and he points to Luke chapter 7, verse 18. John the Baptist, that's Jesus' cousin, he's in prison, and he actually asks his followers to go to Jesus and say, Are you the one who has come? Like, are you the Messiah? Or is there another one coming? Now, hang on a minute. This is classic because... John was actually the one who baptized Jesus, and if you know that passage, God speaks really loudly at the baptism. The sky actually opens, a dove comes down, and there is the audible voice of God saying, this is my son. So, seems pretty clear. So, John thinks he's heard from God, and he's got questions because John's in prison. He's on death row, he's feeling scared. He's wondering if that voice was really God's or if he's got it completely wrong. And I just feel really grateful for this passage because it teaches us it's actually fine to have questions and doubts. It's fine to hear from God and then wonder, have I heard? And this is where being in community is just so key to hearing from God. If you think God's spoken to you clearly, but then you start to have doubts and questions, share it with a friend, get them to pray for you. Talk to a mature Christian if you don't have a Christian friend or get some counsel because God uses other people to help us discern what he's saying to us. When Sam and I felt really stirred up to leave Christchurch, one of the first things we did was we sat down with Sam's mentor and we shared with him what was on our heart and he prayed for us and with us and he gave us prophetic words and he really helped us discern what it was God was saying to us. When John has his doubts, and his followers go to Jesus, and they say, are you the one who's come, or is there going to be another one? I think that John was really hoping for a yes, no answer, but Jesus doesn't give him a yes, no answer. If what Jesus says in the passages, go and tell John what you've seen, and he points to the miracles that he's doing. He's like, go on, go tell John what you've seen, and in that moment, what he's doing is he's pointing John back to the Bible, to the Scriptures, to the Old Testament, because It's prophesied what the Messiah will do. So Jesus is saying, go tell John what you've seen. And then because John knows the scriptures, he'll be able to match it up. Yep, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the right one. And that's another really good way that we can tell if what we think God's saying is what he's saying. We can come back to the Bible because we can look at what Jesus has done in the Bible, historically, and we can look at what Jesus is doing now in our hearts, in this community, or the wider community, and if what we think God's saying bears no resemblance to what he's done in the Bible, and what he's doing now, then I think we've got a problem, and that's why it's so important that we do this stuff in community, that we hear from God in community. Years ago, I had a really, really exciting dream. Sam and I had two boys by then, and we were right on the verge of sanity, flirting with insanity. So we just hadn't slept in years. Parenting was really full on, amazing, but challenging. And we didn't know if we could do a third child. We thought we wanted a third, we weren't sure. I had a dream, I had a baby in the dream. And I woke up with such a huge desire in my heart for a new baby. And I knew the dream was from God. And I shared it with Sam. And so we went on to have Asha, our third born, the one that was running like a wild animal up here at the front, Completely out of control, of that child. But we love him, and so after I had my third child, my husband, because he's very wise, as you know, he went off and he got a vasectomy. <laughs> well done. And so that was the end of that. We had our three boys, and we were done. But then, last uh, two weeks ago, I had a very vivid dream, <laughs> and in the dream, I had a baby. And so I woke up and I said to Sam, I've had another dream about having a baby and I could just, I could see the look of fear in his eyes. So I thought, I said to him, we'll sit with it, we'll pray about it. I don't know what it, what's happening. Then I got to church last Sunday. First person I see is Elsa. She walks over to me and she said, I've had another dream about you having a baby. And then I remembered that Elsa had a dream a couple of months ago about me having a baby. And then she said, I really think it is a new gifting or a new ministry that is going to be birthed. And in my dream, I hadn't actually birthed the baby, I had been given the baby. And so I shared that with Elsa. And she said, Well, maybe there's something in that. Maybe it's something you're going to be given that you're going to look after. We don't know what it is. But a light bulb went off. God is speaking metaphorically. <laughs> so this is awesome. I'm stoked. This is why it's so exciting to hear God in community because often when He speaks to you, He speaks to someone else as well about the same thing. Hallelujah for Elsa. Otherwise, I might have sent Sam off for a reverse vasectomy. I feel really grateful. You know, often we won't hear a yes, no answer from God. We won't actually have crystal clarity, but what we will have is his peace because God always leads and guides us on with his peace. When Sam and I felt stirred up to leave Christchurch, we just knew we were going to do it. I went into deep grief. I like to grieve things really hard (laughs) and really fast see if I can get out the other side quickly. And so I just cried. I just literally cried for days. Just driving around our little beach town, New Brighton, like looking at all the places I loved, crying, going to the supermarket, crying, coming home, crying. Sam came home from work, got the fright of his life because I'm just in the corner crying. But even through all the tears, through the grief, once I was out the other side of the grief, I had God's peace through it all. And it's that deep feeling of peace in your spirit where you know you can trust him. Not long after this passage we were just looking at with John, John is actually beheaded. Now, we probably can't compare it to moving to Napier, (laughs) but similar, but... (laughs) The point is, I think John would have had that same peace in the process. He would have had that same peace right up to the end because he heard so clearly from God at Jesus' baptism, but he had the doubts and questions. He brought them to Jesus. Jesus pointed him to the scriptures and said, you can trust me, it is me. And so I do believe that John would have had the peace. So if sin doesn't disqualify us and it's okay to have questions, what do we need to do in order to hear from God? That's the big question. I listened to a great talk by Mike Palavarci and he points to this scripture in John 10, verse 27. It says, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them and they follow me. So, this is really good news for us because the only qualification we need to hear from God is to be sheep, to be followers. The truth is we've all heard his voice and we've all responded and that's why we're here today. Unless someone physically manhandled you, put you in the car and drove you here, you have responded to God's voice. You may not have recognised it was God's voice, but you've responded. God's always speaking, but we need to get to know how to recognise his voice more. It's not about learning some new technique. It's not about rules or regulations. It's about relationship. And there's no shortcuts to a relationship. The only way we can get to know God's voice and recognize the way he speaks is by spending time with him. If 98% of you guys rang me on the phone and just said hi, I would have no idea who you were. I would go into internal panic and I would have like one of those really awkward trying to be relaxed conversations where I'm trying to work out who you are without having to ask you. Now, if mum rang me or Sam rang me or Gemma rang me, I would instantly know their voice because I talk to them all the time on the phone. I can recognise their voice. It's the same with God. We've got to learn to recognise the ways he speaks. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, it talks about praying without ceasing. It's a very famous verse. It's constant communication it's talking about. I don't think it's a 24-hour quiet time. What it is, is it's going in and out of your day with God, inviting Him in and giving Him the space to speak. Smith Wigglesworth says, I don't often pray for more than half an hour, but I never spend more than half an hour without praying. Oh, I just love that. That's the way, that's the way we should do life. So how does he speak? Well, it's not the way we speak. It says in the Bible, My ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. When he speaks, it's often a feeling, a stirring up of your heart, a picture, a dream, a scripture that resonates with you, a thought that pops into your head that doesn't feel like it's from you, a challenge that you can't shake, a deep compassion or conviction in your heart that moves you to action. So I want to give you some examples of the ways God's spoken in the Bible and in my life. So in the Bible, we see God speaking with an audible voice. He speaks to Mary, to Joseph, to Moses, to Abraham. But in my life, I have never heard the audible voice of God. But what I have had is a little word, or a phrase pop into my head that doesn't feel like it's from me. So a while back, I was heading off to my dance class. I teach dance and Pilates classes, and I knew this class was going to be small because I'd had lots of people that were sick, and I would had some people text me and say they couldn't come, and I was just feeling a bit discouraged. And so I was driving to the class, and I was praying, and I, was just feeling, it was just, I thought, oh, this is going to be lame. It's hardly going to be anyone there. And then I felt this little encouragement pop into my head. Success is the state of your heart. And I was like, oh, I think that's God's voice. Success is the state of your heart. And what that encouragement did was it completely changed my perspective. I'm like, yes, Lord, it is. How awesome. So I can be successful tonight because success is the state of my heart. It doesn't matter how many people are there. What matters is can I love them and encourage them? This class is more about them than it is about me. And that has changed every single class I've ever taught since that point. I pray on the way and remind myself success is the state of my heart. God always brings encouragement when he brings a word. We see God speak in the Bible in dreams. He comes to Joseph, father of Jesus, Joseph. When Joseph is feeling really confused and unsure, should he marry Mary? And an angel comes to him and encourages him and says, yes, you can marry her, and it's going to be okay, you can trust me. And so he brings love and encouragement to Joseph. I had a dream, a really vivid dream once, about a girl, and I hadn't seen her for about a year. And in the dream, she was on the ground, and she was flailing about, and she couldn't breathe, she was actually suffocating. So it was a really scary dream, and I woke up feeling pretty disturbed. And so I prayed for her, and... I woke up the next morning, it was still very vivid and I felt like it was a dream from God giving me insight into where she was at and so I wasn't quite sure what to do with the dream but I thought I'll just sit with it and I'll text her and see if I can meet up and I'm a procrastinator so didn't do it straight away and then a couple of days had passed and I went for a walk down the beach and there she was. And I hadn't seen her for a year. And that's what God does, actually. He brings the right people into our path. And so I had this moment. I felt the Holy Spirit. And I said to her, hey, I'd love to catch up for a cup of tea. And she said, yeah, cool. And so I went around to her house. And I just thought, I'm just going to pray and sit with the Holy Spirit. Because you don't want to blurt out I had a dream and, you know, you were kind of dying in it. Um, And so I just said, how are you? And she opened up and she cried and she said she felt like she couldn't breathe. She felt like she was suffocating in her life and some of the heavy things she was carrying. And I had this beautiful opportunity to share God's encouragement, to share that actually he'd given me the dream. I'd seen her like that and that he wanted her to know that he he can see where she is and he's with her. And I got to pray with her and it was just so awesome. God always brings comfort. He brings encouragement. In the Bible, we see him speaking with prophetic words. So there's that amazing moment where Jesus sits down at a well with a woman who's making some bad choices. And he knows all about the bad choices, and he actually shares them with her in a gentle way. And he speaks words of life to her. And that's what prophetic words do. They're words of life. Sometimes it's not prophetic words, but it's a prophetic picture. Before we had Eli, he's our eldest son, I had a miscarriage and it was just so heartbreaking. The moment we found out I was pregnant, we had all these hopes and dreams and ideas for this child. It was so exciting. And then we lost the baby and it was such a time of grief. But I grieved really hard, which was good. And during that time when I was pregnant with Eli, I felt anxious because I'd lost our first baby and I did not want that to happen again. And so I felt anxiety creeping in. And towards the end of my pregnancy, I had this day, and I was very big um, and about to give birth, but I had this day where Eli didn't move at all. And we were actually at church doing a church event. When it hit me, I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't felt Eli move all day. And I panicked And um, it was amazing because we had lots of Christians around us. So some people prayed for me. And Sam's PA at the time, he used to have a PA. It was awesome. Now I feel like I'm his PA half the time. But anyway, Pip, thank you, Lord, for Pip. She prayed for me. And she got a prophetic picture in her mind. She said, God has just given me the most amazing clear picture of you guys. You're in church, you're with your baby boy, and he's got bright orange hair which is a bold prophetic word. Me and Sam looked at each other. We're like, ooh, okay, let's see. I was very sceptical, let's see, because you know we don't have red hair. Our parents don't have red hair. I don't know anyone in our family who has red hair. My best friend, Gemma, who's normally at church, but she's sick today, she's got red hair. Sam's best friend, Shannon, has got red hair. So we thought, well, this will be hilarious. And then when I gave birth, Eli came out with a huge mop of red hair. It was so amazing. It was such a treasure. And that prophetic picture, it took away my anxiety. It just brought me comfort. And God was showing her what was up ahead for me so she could pass it on. 1 Corinthians tells us prophecy is for strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Prophetic words should never make you feel ashamed, condemned, or afraid. Okay, I want to say that again. Prophetic words should never make you feel ashamed, condemned, or afraid. So if someone gives you a prophetic word like that, I would like to say it's not from God. And that's why it's really important we're listening to God in community. Sometimes God speaks by stirring our hearts. And there's this beautiful passage where Jesus heals a guy at the pool of Bethesda. There's lots of sick people around, but Jesus just goes and he heals this one guy. Now I believe his heart was stirred for this guy. God the Father was speaking to Jesus and he went and he healed this guy. Sometimes for us, there's one person we feel like God places on our heart. We may not know it's God, but we may just have a strange compassion for someone that everyone else finds annoying. We may just see someone on the outskirts that no one seems to recognize or notice and we might feel stirred with compassion. That's God speaking, placing someone on your heart. I went to the mall once and sometimes people ask me for money, I don't always give them money, if I haven't got money I might say I'm so sorry I haven't got any change and you know I might keep walking. But I went to the mall and the lady asked me for money and she said I really need money for the bus home. Now, my little discernment radar was like, "Mm, I don't know if you need money for the bus. But I felt really stirred with compassion for her. I felt God was doing something in my heart because I got a sort of tuning. I thought, oh, no, I'm going to have to do something. (laughs) So off I went, got some cash out, came back, found the lady. And I said, I don't know if you need money for the bus. I don't actually care. Because... I really feel like God loves you. He wants to encourage you today, so, you know here's some money. And as I gave her the money, a security guard came running over because she'd obviously asked a few people for money and the security guard was really annoyed at her. And he started yelling at her and and really trying to shame her and it was awful. It was just so awkward to watch and I could really see the shame come over her face. But then I had this incredible moment where I could give her, her dignity, where I could talk the security guard down and I could speak words of love and encouragement to this lady. And that only happened because God stirred my heart and I followed a prompting and felt like, oh, I'm going to have to step out of my comfort zone here. In the Bible, we see God speaking with divine appointments. This is when you just meet the right person at the right time. You meet the right friend at the right time or you bump into someone or you pray with someone and You know, there's a passage in the Bible, it's extraordinary, Paul's in prison and there's a massive earthquake and the prison door opens and so Paul gets to escape. And the jailer, when he realises that the gate, that the door's open, he grabs his sword and he's gonna kill himself because he realises he's lost the prisoners. Paul sees him and he says, hey, stop, don't kill yourself. We're still here, your prisoners haven't escaped. The guy runs over, he becomes a Christian. It's Paul's mercy and love that lead him to Jesus. But I really think that was a divine appointment because a different police officer or security guard or whatever he was, would have taken the sword and chased Paul with it, trying to stab him. But this guy, he didn't. He responded differently. And I really feel like God had stirred something up in his heart before that moment. And that was a divine appointment. His heart was ready to meet with Jesus. And then his whole household and him are baptised. It's just an incredible story. I have had many divine appointments in my life. And it's hard to choose which one to share. But I've had those moments where I felt like, oh, I've just met the right person at the right time. Sam and I moved to Napier uh, and we were living in Onikawa. But we desperately wanted to get back to the beach because we used to live on the beach in New Brighton. And then we found this house in Bayview and it was so amazing. We really wanted to move there. The beach is right there. And the house is bigger than the house. We, we were in a house where all the kids were jammed in one room. Well, in this house, the kids all have their own room. So it's a way bigger house than we've had before. And long story short, we couldn't really afford the house. And so mum and dad helped us buy it. But I felt really torn because, although on one hand I felt severely blessed and just so grateful because this is like living just in our dream spot, it's so peaceful. I just love living there. On the other hand, I kept feeling like, oh, are we storing up our treasures on earth? Because I don't want to do that. I want to store up our treasures in heaven. Ah, I just, you know, I don't know if I can have full joy. And our offer got accepted and. I was really excited, but I was also, I still had that, oh, you know, is this, is this your will for us, God, being there, you know? And Sam and I went to Christchurch just that week. We were away. It was the first time we were away from church here. And a guy came in that has never been to our church before, and he doesn't even live here anymore. He lives in Auckland. I don't know how he ended up here. But Joe Domigan and him had a divine appointment Joe went to him and she said, oh, hi, you know, are you local? She got chatting because she's such a wonderful welcomer. She's the best. And she got chatting and he said he used to be local. He grew up in Bayview, but now he lives in Auckland. And so then, oh, wow, Bayview, how cool. And she said, our pastor's just bought a house in Bayview. Uh, Whereabouts were you? And he was like, Rogers Road. Joe was like, oh my gosh, that's the street they bought in. Anyway, would you believe that guy who was here just a couple of days after we'd bought the house, his dad built the house. That's the house he grew up in. And his mum, who used to pray, she was a prayer warrior, she prayed through the house. So the foundations of that house are built on prayer. And for me, that was just such incredible confirmation that actually we're in the right spot and that God has gone before us and prepared a place for us, which is just such a treasure. And I felt like because of that divine appointment, I could fully celebrate and experience the joy of what God had for us. Hallelujah. So there are some practical ways that we can practice hearing from God and some practical things we can do to help us if we're new to this. The first thing is get into his word. The scripture is nourishment for our soul. Mike Pilevacci says this, if you wanna hear God speak more and more outside of his word, then you gotta get into his word more. So if you wanna hear him speak outside his word, just into your head, then get into his word more. When we get into his word, when we soak ourselves in scripture, two important things happen. The first one is we can identify the voices that aren't from him. Because if you're reading the Bible and you know what God says about you, he says he knit you together in your mother's womb, so you are wanted. He says he loves you with an everlasting love, so you are loved. He says he removes our sin from the east to the west, so you are forgiven. Once you know the things God says about you, you can actually identify the voices that aren't from him. When I was in high school, I I shifted schools and went to a new school, which is very scary when you're 14. And I had this one really defining moment where someone walked past me. I didn't have any friends yet because I was new. And she said to me, you reject. And then she just kept walking. And this was such a defining moment because I could have accepted that and actually let it crush my spirit a little. But I was like, no. I do not accept that. I rebuke that in Jesus' name because actually I know that I am loved and I know that I am wanted by my Father in heaven and by my family. And so I knew that that wasn't a voice from God and so I rebuked it. The the verse that says take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, that's one of the most important things we can learn. We've got to know that. We've been teaching the kids that they've done it as their memory verse. My kids are saying all the time, Let God change the way you think, because that's the way they've learnt it. This is so important. We've got to know when voices come in that aren't from God, we rebuke them, let them go. The second thing is wait on Him. It says in the Bible, Be still and know that I am God. And there's a place for just waiting just sitting with Jesus, but you've got to carve out that time. And Sam's been harping on about it, about meeting God in the silence and stillness. We've got to just make time to just sit with Jesus. And when I do it, sometimes a phrase or a word pops into my head. Sometimes I feel the Holy Spirit, and there's no words, but I just feel loved. I feel refreshed. I feel like, yes, I can do this life thing. Sometimes I don't feel anything. It's just completely silent. It's like a tumbleweed goes past. But even in the silence, when God's not speaking, you can trust that there's spiritual formation going on, that God's actually doing something deep in your soul. You may not know what it is, but he's doing something, and we can trust in that. We see God coming in a fire in the Bible, in a burning bush. Moses has this encounter with him. But then for Elijah, it's the still, small voice. And for many of us, there are burning bush moments, but it's the still small voice that actually sustains us in the day-to-day. So sit with him in silence. The third thing is desire more. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Do you guys, I want you to ask yourselves very honestly, do you want spiritual gifts as much as you want to eat that? (laughs) That delicious looking pie. We've got to be desiring this stuff. Oh, Beth actually wants the dog. (laughs) We've got to be desiring this stuff. And we're desiring it not so we can have a title, not so we can be some super Christian on a Sunday. We're desiring it so we can actually see God at work, bringing healing and reconciliation. This is for all of us. It's not for a select few. When God speaks, it often requires action. And this is the scary part. It requires us to step out of our comfort zone. And I know that a lot of us are worried. What if we make a mistake? What if we get it wrong? Guess what? You're going to get it wrong. You're going to get it wrong from time to time. I've got it wrong sometimes really royally. When we were in Christchurch, I got wind of the fact that there was a guy who had had his wheelchair stolen. And I felt so moved to compassion in my soul that I organized through the pastoral care budget for us to buy him a new wheelchair. So we got him a new wheelchair. A couple of weeks later, I saw him. He walked into church. He walked into church. I was like, what the? And so I raced over and I thought, oh my goodness, has he been healed? I ran to his mum. I said, what's happened? And she said, oh no, he hasn't been healed. Like he could always walk. He, um, he just, you know, he's lazy and he's, he, has, he, does, he does have sore legs, but he's also lazy and he likes to use the wheelchair. And so it turns out, and I'm like, well, where's the wheelchair? And she's, oh, he sold it. <laughs> On Trade Me. Bought some new clothes. Oh, I had to explain that one to the pastoral care team. So you know what, guys? We are going to make mistakes. But the important thing is obedience. It's moving in obedience. It's when if we think we've heard God's voice, then we act on it. Then we're obedient. And remember that success in God's eyes is very different to success in our eyes because success in God's eyes is the state of our heart. The last thing I want to say is the way we communicate hearing from God is really important. I don't think it's wise to say God said or God told me because there's no wiggle room in that. There's no way you can invite someone to listen with you or help you discern. And it also ostracizes people. When someone says God told me, I'm like, "Mm," I'm sort of like, wow, did he? Are you 100% sure? Like 100%? You know, sometimes when you hear someone say God told me, it sort of makes you feel like a less of a Christian to them because they're obviously hearing, hearing so clearly. Now, I think a gentler, wiser way to communicate it is, I think God said, I, th- I have a feeling God's told me, and we can communicate it like that. Because remember, what we want to do, if you're hearing really clearly from God, and I know some of you are, and I don't want to squash that, But if you're hearing clearly from God, what you want to do is be able to encourage the other people around you to hear from God too. Help them believe that they can hear from God too. So here's some things to take away from this morning. Nothing disqualifies us from hearing from God. Our questions and our doubts are okay. We learn how to listen to his voice by just being in his presence. There are practical ways we can learn to listen to God. Most of the time, it's not crystal clear. But it's always, always, always about his mercy, his kindness, and his compassion. So let's stand to our feet. I would love to pray.